Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rod. Yeah, I'm well. It feels like a long time since we've uh, done a recording. Well, not for me. I think for us together collectively to do a recording might be a little bit longer. Yeah, that's true. I did enjoy your solo show, which I would imagine was quite hard to do because you've got nobody to talk to and it's harder, I guess, to pause to have a sip of water and you've got to make both sides of the conversation work on on your own. It was a little odd, I've got to say, that um, it makes me notice how much I say things, like I was starting every sentence with so this and so that and so the other. And uh, when you're sort of trying to monitor your speech for what you're saying all the time and not go, oh, that's quite tricky. Yeah, I think you become uh, more self-conscious because I've just realised I've said uh, a couple of times already and we're only a few minutes, well, less than a minute in, into this podcast. Um, but look, it's episode 93 and it is the 6th of November and we're what not quite a week after the recent Apple event. We are. So I think for follow-up, being as everybody got my take and I want to update on a couple of things since last week anyway, we might be worth getting your take. So what did you think of the event? What was your impressions? Okay, so firstly, I was in a time zone where it meant I'd have to be up at two o'clock in the morning. So feeling pretty happy I didn't stay up for this one, if I'm honest. I'm a bit mixed on the event and the products released. So I think they hyped it a little too much beforehand, I would say, because they made it they made it stand out. Um, and I like they did something different. I Don't get me wrong. I'm not a big Halloween person, but I like they did something different. But I thought they could have lent into the Halloween theme a bit more. But by changing the time, saying they called it scary fast, and they had a little Mac icon teaser, which I think was good to have the Mac icon teaser behind because it meant it's expectation that it's just Mac. So I thought that was good. But I think there was just more hype generated around it. And there always is for an Apple event. Whereas they could have just dropped this at a normal time and it would have been fine. They could have just done a press release like they did earlier in the year with the M2 Max and here's a video to go with it. So I just think they hyped it a little bit too much, was my view. I like the event was only 30 minutes, thought that was great and I'm glad they don't think they need to do an hour long thing. Do a short video, it's, it's perfectly fine. And they should do that for all their press release, their relatively big press releases. Why not drop a video rather than just a, a you know press release with some pictures? If you can make a 10 minute video and I get there's production and cost, why not do that? It's a great way of engaging with people. So I thought the video was good. I thought they could have learned into Halloween a lot more. They did some smoke effects. They did some bats. They could have just really gone for it. But I get it. They're trying to strike the right balance. What do I think of the, the stuff announced? So they spent 15 minutes, roughly, about half the show, talking about the new chips. So they were laying a lot of groundwork for the chips, which do people really care that much about the chips? I know techies do, yourself and I included. And then they then spent, I don't know, not quite 15 minutes talking about the MacBook Pros. And then they spent about maybe five minutes on the iMac. So it was very interesting how they carved up a 30-minute show. Whereas if you'd look back over time, and if you'd have said 10 years ago, Apple will spend five minutes introducing the fastest iMac they've ever made, you would go, no, they spend way more time on it than that. So it was quite a shock that they spent so little time on the iMac, in my view. Um, But on the whole... I thought the video was good. I'm glad it was short. I think what they've released is really good. 
I get that it's not going to scratch your itch, but I think on the whole, solid round of updates. Probably come a little earlier than people were expecting, but the M2s only came out in January, but they were slated to be released last October. I think they were late, and then maybe this is Apple getting back on track. I'm curious now whether we're going to get one of these a year now. Are we going to go M- M3, M4, M5? Um, what I do like with the numbering, though, is relatively easy to remember when it came out because M3 came out in 23. Let's assume M4 will come out in 24. That's not a bad way of thinking about it until we get new A16, A17 for phone chips and all the rest of it. So that doesn't necessarily help. I I think it's lucky more than anything else or maybe unlucky for the way that the fabrication of the chips went from all sort of other news that I've been hearing. It seems that the three three nanometer initial builds weren't as good in sort of yields as they could have been. So that's why you ended up with sort of differences in duration between the M2 and the M3. And I think COVID probably paid in, played into that a little bit as well. So it's just luck. And then once you've got the chips, you may as well get them out the door once you're getting the yields as you want to. And that sort of yield story carries through to what is an M3 versus an M3 Pro versus an M3 Max and why they're binned so strangely. That seems to lay out, sort of point in the direction of how TSMC are actually able to produce the chips that Apple are able to build in at the the Mac. So I think that's part of the story. Yeah, that's true. I think one thing I didn't forecast, when we first heard about Apple Silicon, I was like, great, these chips are going to be super simple. You know, you're going to have an M1. And I just thought, you know, you just have one chip per year in all the Apple products. It'll be really simple. But actually, they made it really complicated because not only do you get... I've been using the M1 example. You get the M1, you then get the M1 Pro, the M1 Max, the M1 Ultra. And then within that, you then get a different number of processor cores, a different number of graphics cores. And now you get varying amounts of RAM just to throw into it. So they took something that I thought Intel had made quite complicated. And I thought, great, Apple's going to make it easy. And I think they've actually made it more complicated than Intel because of the way the whole system on the chip works, where you've got the system and the RAM and it's all on one chip. They haven't made it simple like Apple usually make things simple when you're picking your chip. Yeah, it's definitely not simple. So that's the chips. And I mean, just to sort of close the section off, I'm not surprised that they spent as much time on it because they're really proud of it, aren't they? They sort of break away from Intel. And the way I talked about it last week, that Intel are really not doing all that great when you compare to what AMD are doing, what Qualcomm are doing, what Apple are obviously doing with Apple Silicon. So... I think it's that opportunity for them really to ram home that they did the right thing by switching away from Intel. Look at our power efficiency, look at our performance that we get now, look at our battery life from all these devices. So I kind of get it. Now I do. And obviously looking back on the keynote in its entirety, the chips was definitely the most exciting thing because there wasn't a lot else in that 30 minute in that 30 minute presentation. So they were definitely right to spend the time on it and explain why Apple Silicon is so good. And that they're clearly making a play for people that haven't yet upgraded to Apple Silicon. They're obviously trying to get people over the line from uh, Intel Macs. And why not third generation is a great time to come over. And they're really well established. And obviously they were doing a lot of comparisons for people on the M1s because I guess they're trying to get those guys and girls to upgrade. I think one thing that's come out since, though, is with, I think it's Geekbench, where they've suggested that the M3 Max is like running an M2 Ultra. So you can see there where, you know, only 12 months apart, are you now getting the performance in your laptop that you were previously getting in a desktop. And it's amazing that they're still carrying on that those performance gains in a relatively short space of time. 
Yeah, I think that's fair. So looking at the iMac, and I've linked to a review that's just obviously the embargoes came out, uh, went away today. So we've got reviews from The Verge and, uh, and others. And I've linked to Jason Snell's Six Colors post on his review of the iMac. Always worth reading Jason's reviews. But there's a quote from it I thought I thought would be worth reading out. In terms of pure CPU performance, it seems like the M3 is a larger leap from the M2 than the M2 was from the M1. On the graphics th- side, things seem to vary a bit more. The new M3 CPU is de- GPU is definitely faster, but in some circumstances it appears to be spectacularly faster. Now that's quite an endorsement. Keep in mind this is the base chip, so that leap in GPU from M1 to M3 is clearly very significant. Yeah, definitely. You can see they've made you know, just massive gains year on year. And the, the M1 was already ridiculously far forwards compared to where we were with Intel and they've just managed to build on it you know in the subsequent two years interesting you've linked to the iMac I thought for me the iMac was a bit of a nothing they've done other than just swap out the chip and I do wonder with the Apple Silicon is it that easy that you you know you can literally just swap the chip keep the cooling the same and and off you go I I, I don't know the answer by the way but um, it'll be interesting to see if they do a teardown you know the original 24 inch or 24.5 inch iMac to to the one that's just been released where they've swapped the m1 with the m3 is it literally just the chips different i'd be be curious on that i mean this is the case for the iMac and the macbooks pro isn't it with the exception of the cheap macbook pro the new 14 inch cheap one it seems to be the same iMac it's got the same camera the same speakers comes with the same default amount of ram in it there you know there is nothing the same screen same brightness same colors, same braided lightning accessories. It's the same computer with a chip swap, it seems as much as anything else. So yeah, it's 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 not great really. And then the other part of this is the fact that they've said today, as of the 6th of November, that they're not going to make a bigger iMac at this point, which I think is really sad. I do. I agree with you. I think it's really sad because the 27-inch iMac was everywhere. You know, you saw it in design studios, you saw it in homes. It was just such a great device. And yet, they seem to have killed it, which I find really strange. It seems an odd device not to do. I think the 24-inch iMac is great, but I'm surprised it's not a bigger brother. So, yeah, very bizarre. And it is a shame that shame they've killed it. But um, I think the 24-inch one's good. It's a good home. It looks like it's the home user Mac of choice. And you might see it in some receptions and what have you. But I guess they are trying to push everybody now to have a studio display and or desktop slash laptop, I guess. Maybe maybe they saw dwindling sales of iMacs over the years as more people want laptops, and now you can get desktop performance in a laptop. It's kind of been a self-fulfilling prophecy that actually professionals don't want that big device. I don't know. It's all about laptops, and if they really want to push you up to buying a, a, an Apple Studio, don't they? That's what they want. They want you to buy a, a studio and a studio display and go from there. You've got the chip power, and you can crack on, and you can do it from that point. And you can swap out the screen, although once you've got a studio display, I'm not sure why you're going to. It's a shame Apple make great panels. I'd like to see them make bigger panels. To me, the, the sort of limiting factor of the iMac is, A, the screen size. I wouldn't buy an iMac purely because it's not big enough for me. If they made a 27-inch one, I probably still wouldn't. 32, I'm interested. But I completely understand that that's not maths that works for absolutely everyone. And you do have that flexibility. How many years were we bemoaning the fact that there wasn't a cheap Apple display to mate to a Mac Mini or a Mac Pro or something like that? So we've kind of got the best of both worlds. If you want to go over that, fine. But the world buys laptops and that's what they're leaning into. 
Yeah, they do. And in a way, probably buying a separate screen is the right thing to do. If you want to buy a laptop, get a separate screen. You can reuse it. it will, the screen will probably outlive the laptop, potentially. So no, I, I think the iMac, oh, it's great that they've updated it and it wasn't just a one hit. We're just going to do an M1 and see what happens. They've updated it. So now I believe nearly all the Macs they sell are either M2 or M3. I think there's just the M1 Air lying around because obviously trying to hit, hit a cheap, cheap price point with it. But what a fantastic range of devices. Uh, shall we move on to the MacBook Pros? Let's move on. I just want one last thought as we move on that sort of melds in quite well. Why will they only sell you 8 gigs of RAM in their base devices? I think it's just not good enough. And I think it's worse this year because you're seeing there's 8 gig of RAM in the iMac. There's 8 gig of RAM in the new base level MacBook Pro. But yet you can get so much more RAM in the really specced up ones because up to 128 gig. Um, it does feel like we got to 8 gigabytes of RAM as standard, I don't know, 10 years ago, say, and we haven't moved forwards. It should be at least 16, especially in a pro, mach- in a pro machine that you're charging £1,700 for. Would be my view, but obviously I'm not the bean counters at Apple. It does feel stingy. But even in the £1,800 laptop, it's still 8 gig of RAM. So... I think they've been too stingy. I think it should have doubled by now to 16 gig as a a starter. But hey-ho, Apple's going to do Apple. 8 gigs of RAM is the 5 gigs of iCloud storage, it seems. Yeah, that's true, actually. That's also been with us equally for probably the same duration of over 10 years. But look, people that care about it probably aren't buying those devices. People that care will be buying, you know, the, the proper MacBook Pro with the Pro chip in it or they'll be buying a Mac Mini or what have you. It is annoying, though, because if ever you want to buy a stock config or direct somebody to a stock machine, you can't. You can't go and get these devices on Amazon. You've got to go to Apple and custom order them if you do want to upgrade any of the components, which is a bit of a shame. Yeah, I agree. Let's have a quick chat about the MacBooks Pro then. So, again, exactly the same devices as they were before. We lost the touch bar. Were you sad to see the back of the touch bar? No, either either lean into it and have it everywhere or kill it. And it's, again, typical Apple. It's taken too long to kill, but they've finally done it. And they've obviously brought out a lower specced macbook pro but it's got nearly everything that the main macbook pro has got so it's got it's just got the m3 standalone chip it's got two USB-C ports on it but it's got everything else you know it's got the sd card it's got hdmi it's got all the the great screen the big trackpad the nice new keyboard so i think they've made the right decisions to get that there i just think it should have a little bit more ram for being a pro device and hopefully they're covering all bases now because obviously you've got the 13 inch air the 15 inch air You've got the 14-inch MacBook Pro and then obviously going all the way up through the various configurations. So I'm glad they've done it and I think it looks great. It's a great device and it's it's £1,700 here in the UK for your entry-level MacBook Pro. That's a lot of money for a machine with 8 gig of RAM in the current day and age. Yeah, I like lots of things about this machine. I like the fact that they've got rid of the touch bar. Nobody will like the touch bar. Bye-bye. Well, maybe the odd person like the touch bar and, and well done you. But this has the same XDR screen as the 14 and 16 inch MacBook Pros, which is a great thing, and your iPad Air. Uh, it has the potential to, to do lots of things with it. I've already seen the M3 is great, but then to only give it eight gigs of RAM and then to limit a MacBook Pro to just one display and to remove one of the Thunderbolt ports off it, I think it's extremely stingy. As soon as they put the word Pro on it, why not just leave the ports? Fair enough, I can maybe see the delineation in the line between the M3 and the M3 Pro to not drive more displays, but this feels a bit swinging, really. That sort of gulf between a base MacBook Pro and, and a MacBook Air is a really sort of grey area. And to start at 1600 quid, which is quite a lot of money, 
if you want to put another 8 gigs of RAM in it, it's another 200 quid. So you're immediately up to sort of 1,800, 1,900 quid. And then you're looking at the £2,000 MacBook Pro with the Pro chip in it. And actually, that's probably where you want to start. I think only the, the very cheapest buyers who must have Pro in it should actually be looking at this. It's quite a compromised device when you start thinking about it like that. It is, but how many people are really driving multiple screens? How many people even plug a screen in? Yeah, but you're a pro user. Um, I only use one one screen on mine, um, but how many people do you see with a MacBook that never plug a screen in? That's fair, but when are they looking at pros at all then? They should just be looking at an air. That's good enough. To me, it's the, it's the screen and it's the ports, and you might want to plug more than two things, and if you're a pro user, the chances are you're going to be using more than one thing at a time. So it just it feels a bit arbitrary, you know? Yeah, no, I don't disagree. Uh, I'm assuming they've got more data on it than us. I think the machine they've called a pro is more just to scratch the itch for the people that want a pro device and won't just get the air. Do you know what I mean? I think they want to have that pro device and that's where Apple's marketing has been fantastic because they want people want to have the pro, whatever it is, even if they're not going to use it. Yeah, fair. Okay, so I like the devices. I think if you were going to buy one, that 18 gig, 512 gig storage, £2,099 model is where you start. And you can have it in, uh, in space black, baby. Yeah, I'm not sure about space black. I kind of like the idea, but it's not really black, is it? It's a very no, it's gray. dark grey. Um, but you know what? I still really like the silver. I know it's a bit retro now, but I quite like the lighter devices. My iPad's silver, my phone is silver, my... MacBook Pro is silver, so I don't even know if I would go for the space black. I think I'd need to see it in person if I were to be buying one of these. Um, what I did think, though, is if you went, if you were putting an M3 Max in in, in something, the 14-inch uh, one is £3,300, but the 16-inch one is 3500 So it's not that much difference. You get a lot more, you know, or you obviously get the bigger screen, but it is a lot bigger. I guess that's, that's the the con and i know you've got the 16 inch device but i didn't think the premium for getting the 16 inch one was much more than the 14 inch one to be fair yeah i and i agree that argument i still go back and forth and slightly did i make the wrong choice by going for the 16 over the 14 most of the time it's actually docked to something so it's, it is connected to more than one often external displays so i kind of want something that would drive that but when i am on my laptop and only got my laptop i really do appreciate having a bit of extra screen real estate yeah, I can understand that. I do find the 14-inch a little cramped sometimes, and I don't use it a huge amount for work, as you know. But I've got the studio display down here in my shed, and it's fantastic. Did you not have a 17-inch MacBook at I some did. point? For many, PowerBook. PowerBook. Yeah, yeah, I had yeah. a couple of them, and I loved it. But that's when I was working on it all the time. Loved it. If I was working on my laptop all the time, I'd probably go 16-inch again, because I do like the screen real estate. Fair. So... This is all linked to in Jason Snell's other review of the MacBook Pro. There's a nice photograph in there of him comparing the grey and something that's actually black, which is a Samsung SSD. So have a look at that if you have been wondering about the colours of them. Again, for me, I think the sweet spot is this £2,099 computer. I think it's enough storage, plenty of RAM, and it's going to be a good chip in there as well. So that would be my choice unless you need more power. Just, just on the colour briefly. I quite like the way he's done his photos, by the way, so you can compare. But the midnight blue... Uh, MacBook Air M2 looks a lot more black than the Space Black Pro. Do you not think? I think Apple's definition in grey and black needs some looking at because it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, their colour names are nearly as complicated as their processor names, I think. So it is a good review. Super interesting to see it all laid out there. All it's done is make my mind wonder what we're going to get when the Ultra chip comes because 
is if that's two maxis, that thing's going to be very fast indeed. It is. Just another little note, I think I said at the end of the show uh, last week that there was some uh, noise about the whole event being shot on an iPhone. It was shot on an iPhone. There's been some controversy about can it really be considered as being shot as an, on an iPhone when you put these multi-tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of dollar rigs attached to the iPhones to do the zooms and the dollies and all this kind of stuff. At the end of the day, it is still shot on an iPhone though. So I think it's fair enough for Apple to claim that. It was mostly edited in Final Cut Pro. Apparently there's some Premiere use in there as well in places, so that's a, sl- a little bit sketchier. But I'm okay with them claiming it's been shot on an iPhone. No, I'm, I'm the same as you here. It's not going to be some just one guy or girl holding a phone trying to get a steady tracking shot. But it, what a claim though that you know, you shot it on an iPhone, on this tiny little camera. And surely they're going to do this for all their events now. They've got to. They've got a dog food, haven't they? Because what a thing to put at the end of every video you do. Shot shot on our own devices, edited on our own devices, with our own software. You know, that's proper dog fooding. It really is. There's a couple of YouTube videos, which if Chris reminds me, I'll put in the show notes from Tyler Stallman. One talking about all the stuff that went into making the events. Uh, and another one when he has the iPhone 15 Pro Max. Um, and he's using that to shoot just after it was released. He is a photographer, so he's got a really sort of got acute sense of how these things come together. Well worth a video of him walking around Copenhagen using the steady cam on the iPhone and all that kind of stuff. What can be done? And for those that are really interested, this is for me more than Chris because my phone does this and his doesn't, is this Apple LUT, L-U-T, color correction thing, which is, I can't even remember what the acronym stands for, but basically you can apply your own color corrections to the video that's coming straight out of the phone. And that's hugely powerful over your pro cinematographer. And he goes through what that looks like. As I'm saying this, I'm thinking it may actually apply to Chris's phone as well, because it's got nothing to do with the extra zoom camera. So if you have an iPhone 15 Pro, you can take these LUTs in Final Cut Pro and then put your own one on them. In fact, you can download Tyler's. He's made it freely available. And the difference it makes to color grading your videos is really spectacular. Is this the Apple Log? I can't think what it's called. Is that is the Apple Log, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think I do get that on my phone as well. I was just trying to look in the settings uh, while you were talking. Um, I don't really do much video on my phone, I must confess. No, I, th- I think it's fantastic and it's great they're dog fooding it. Like I say, what an advert for their own equipment. It's like a, another iPhone commercial that they've managed to get out of it. So fantastic. Yeah, it's good stuff. We have a note here on liquids. Yeah, so apparently in Sonoma 14.1 update that recently came out, Apple can now detect whether you've had any liquid in your USB-C ports. So apparently something they do on the iPhones and they've now brought it to the Mac. I just thought I'd include that. I wasn't sure if it was just new devices, but it looks... I don't know if it's just M3 or, or whether it works on other Macs, if that makes sense. I don't think they've announced anything on it. But I just thought it was interesting that some of that tech that they're using um, on iPhones has come to the Mac. And my mate has taken this long because surely they've had claims you know, on Apple Care for this so it makes sense that, that they would use the technology they've already got definitely it's it, i'm i'm not surprised by this either i gotta say but uh it's it's got to be useful data points for apple you know you, you knock over that glass of water or coffee on the desk it's good on your USB-C ports my laptop's in a stand everybody i recommend you do the same sort of thing because i'm clumsy so it's just worth a thought and i know casey list from atp does this quite a lot yeah, that is true. I'm looking at my bottle of water just off to the side, I must confess. They're on opposite sides of the desk, so I think I'm good. Cheap stand on Amazon, 12 quid. <laughs> is that the answer? That's the answer. Um, moving on. Uh, a little bit of feedback. I said three weeks ago that my daughter had been given an assignment in her media class to play Tomb Raider, Tomb Raider even, 
the remade one, not the original low polygon count one that was on the PlayStation back in the day that uh, I certainly remember and hated. <laughs> and she did, and she was very impressed, and I think she played it for about 12 minutes before she deciding it was far too hard and she couldn't be bothered with it. So... I don't know how that will affect her mark for media, but that was her experience of playing Tim Reader uh, on a PC. Oh, it sounds like she's done that homework and she's got an opinion, so surely, surely that, that's the right answer. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it is interesting, her expectation of a game compared to mine. I mean, Minecraft is absolutely the game she played growing up. Minecraft and almost nothing else. So quick time events, having to dodge boulders. I got a bow and arrow, Dad, and then I didn't know what to do with it. You know, was I meant to shoot people? How did I get arrows? What was the deal? You know, that sort of next step into where you go next in those kind of games is is quite different for her compared to my sort of experience of computer games. So it does make me wonder about some of these AAA titles for the next generation. Are they attracting those kinds of users? Are they all going to be Minecraft and Fortnite players? Probably Minecraft and Fortnite. I mean, I've just left a household full of four children around the ages of 10 and 12 and the three of them are playing Fortnite. yeah fair enough have we got anything else for follow-up or we should, should we do some news we're in no, danger of having a long show let's get into the news i think let's get into the news so first story battery gate so well, yet another gate uh, we've had a few of them this this year i'm a bit fed up of calling them all gates but uh, the press seem to like calling them that so such is life and this is just a little story to say that uk courts have approved a billion dollar case against apple for compensation for uh, the battery gate uh, stuff that was going on a couple of years back. So this is potentially 24 million British users of iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 6S, SE, 7, 7 Plus, 8, 8 Plus, and iPhone 10 are estimated to have been impacted by the issue. I had one, two, three, four of those phones. Yeah, I was just thinking that. I think I had a 6 Plus. I think I had a 6S Plus at some point. I definitely had a 7, and I had a, I call it the X, but the iPhone 10 as well. So probably about three or four myself. Yeah, so this is this will be interesting, and it's potentially quite a lot of money at stake here, really. We don't get a lot of these sort of big consumer claims things here in the UK, unlike in America, where they have their class action lawsuits. We have far fewer of those. I think the Dieselgate Volkswagen defeat device is the last one I properly remember. How, how do you prove you had an iPhone success? I guess you must have a receipt somewhere from the company or whoever you bought it off. I, I can't imagine I keep any receipts that old. I bet it's in your email. Oh, I delete most of my email. You don't keep your invoices? Nope. I don't oh, keep my devices, so I don't see the point of keeping the invoice for it. That, that's a fair point. I tend to just archive all of those. The, the never-ending Gmail storage, I just hit the archive button and it goes away. I might, as a, a follow-up for myself, go and see if I have got any receipts for iPhones going back that long. That would be, what, 2011, 2012 iPhone 6? Yes. I can't remember. Maybe a little bit newer. I don't know. It feels like that might be about right. 2013 absolute tops, I reckon. Anyway, it is interesting that this court case may be on, is, is now being allowed to proceed within the UK, and it's yet another one for us to keep an eye on it. iPhone 6, 2014. Uh, I was a little bit earlier. You're quite right. Fair enough. So if you had one of those phones and your only source of news is us, then stay tuned in future episodes to see what's going to happen next. Uh, moving on, Apple is apparently testing TVOS 17 on iPad Mini to see if they can come up with a HomePod with a screen. What do you think of this rumor? Yeah, I think this is a no-brainer because I, I did touch on it a little bit before the show. So the beta of TVOS 17.2 is out. I've tried it, and the TV app is the iPad app. Basically, it's very similar, and it's also the same as the Vision app. You know, they've, they've shared some screen grabs of it. So I'm not surprised by this because the iPad 
would run tvOS great nice big chunky screen on it there's some great apps on it so i'm not surprised by this why wouldn't they do that because do they really want to create another operating system they've got to manage and maintain you know they've got so many now so why wouldn't we use tvOS i always thought tvOS would get renamed homeOS at some point because there was talk of that and it's never really come to fruition so i think it would make sense especially some of the the changes they've made recently to tvOS that's made it a lot more like the ipad like you get better menus on it they've done control center they've got the new tv app coming out out of all the os's this year tvOS has actually had the most updates so i think this could have legs like why wouldn't they just you know munge in essence a home pod with an ipad it'd be quite interesting yeah it's an interesting concept and Google and Amazon both have these kinds of products where they've got their Alexa or Google products built into something with a screen so you can do things like when you set timers on it you can see multiple timers or I think you can watch video on one of them uh, certainly I think Google removed some of that you used to be able to watch Netflix on the Google one and that's been taken away I think you can still do it on the Amazon one so there is some utility in banging a screen onto one of these things for video calling or for security cameras is another use a use case Amazon have got. So all that's quite cool. I'm less cool about the security implications of having something like that. I don't have a an Amazon Alexa. I don't have a Google Now. I've switched off my 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 HomePods. I think I've got one left actually, but even that because it's not a very good speaker and doesn't do what I tell it to most of the time. It's not very useful to me. I think the fundamental problem with this device is that you hear more and more people getting fed up with their HomePods. You may be in a use case different to that. Some, Quite a lot of people have never left Sonos or have gone back, back to Sonos because HomePods aren't cutting it for them. Making a more expensive HomePod with Siri, which we've repeatedly said isn't good enough, isn't the answer to everything, I don't think. It's nice to have a screen, but for the significant cost increase to a product that's already shaky, I think it might just make the tower come falling down a bit. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, and I'm not sure whether I'd have a need for this in my world. I've got some HomePods in the kitchen, use them every now and again for music. But if I want to watch something in the kitchen, I just take my iPad with me. I, But I think it makes sense for Apple to try this, because I think they've got all the pieces. And they've obviously just put FaceTime on the Apple TV, as we've seen. So why wouldn't they do this? So I I think this has got legs. I'd hate to think what price it would come in at, though. That, that would be my concern. Yeah, it's not going to be cheap. I mean, saying that, the HomePod Mini is quite cheap. What is it? Is it well, cheap? It's about £99, maybe it's a bit less. Pounds. Yeah. Stick a screen on top of that, you're adding another 100 at least. Yeah, it's going, to be, it's going to be a £249 product in the UK, I would suggest. So same size speaker, reasonable screen, mediocre speaker, doesn't really listen to you. Is that really useful? But if it's got a screen, it doesn't need to listen to you anymore, does it? Because you can just go and tap music and play a video... My hands are covered in butter because I'm baking. I can't go and tap the screen. You've got a nose, haven't you? Everybody does a nose on the watch. No, oh, no, they don't now, though, do they? Because they double uh, tap. Yeah. Maybe maybe we'll come with the double tap with your fingers then, so you can do that where you've got buttery paws. Can you just tut at the screen instead? Maybe it'll listen to you. But maybe that's their way of not fixing series, just to put a screen on every HomePod. Job done. Yeah, I don't like it. Fair enough. At the same time, I'd quite like to see them try and do something. I'd like to see them improve Siri. I'd like to see them try something new in the home arena. So fair enough. I don't think I'm the person to buy this product, though. Yeah, and I'm not sure I am. So I just don't think I have a need for another set of products with different OSs on them. So I'm interested, but I'm struggling to find a use case for it. 
Yeah, fair. Moving on, and I'm not going to comment on this, and I don't think we should because we've talked about it a lot before. The UK's Online Safety Act, which is a very problematic bit of law, as we talked about with uh, them approving all of the abilities that we said they were never going to be able to enforce in terms of software updates uh, being passed passed by the UK government, encrypted messaging apps like iMessage and Signal and others having to you know, give the keys to security agencies in order to do that. They said they were never going to enforce it, but they passed it anyway, has come into law. So King Charles III has signed it off. I don't know what else to say about this other than what a terrible government and what a terrible system we have sometimes. A couple of points. One, we've had four prime ministers in four years, which is just, I was just working out my fingers. I was like, that's a lot of prime ministers. And two, are these people really the right people that should be coming up with tech laws? And then King Charles signing it off? I'm not sure about this. It seems not. You know, you, you, people notice, There are people in government, presumably, that know what they're doing. They're just not allowed anywhere near this, I think. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Uh, other bit of news, Apple has pushed out more updates to AirTag firmwares. We don't know what it does. <laughs> so that's the best kind of firmware update, isn't it? So if you're looking and you're looking to see if there's a new version of your form, firmware on your AirTags, the last version was 2.0.36, and they've just pushed out 2.0.61. But again, nobody knows what it does. I was just looking at my my tag now. I didn't even know how I find out what version it's got on it. I'm not sure I can help you with that. It's probably in the Find My App somewhere. That was um, my first thought, but it's not. I wonder if it's under general, you know, um, about. Uh, open Find My Tap the Items tab, select your AirTag from the list of items, tap the name of your, your AirTag and the serial number and firmware version will appear. You're joking. I'm so not. literally zero button and you can go, it says Chris's backpack, I tap that and they go firmware, I've got 36 on mine, what should I have? Well the new one that's just come out is what I just announced and I can't remember it because I've already moved on, it should be 61. 61, 61. Oh, well, I haven't got it. Uh, there you go. Yeah. I did put my uh, AirTag in my case, though, and I could see my case was in the same country as me when I landed, which is always nice. It's always reassuring. Good. Okay, next story. Apparently, Apple had the gall to claim in an EU court that Safari is three browsers, not one. I don't even want to talk about this. It's stupid. <laughs> so, this is Apple trying to avoid regulation in the EU by making the surprising claim that it offers not one, but three distinct web browsers all happen to be called Safari. So this is to get them out of being a monolithic app store under EU law, effectively. Uh, so they've spent the last, ooh, 10 years claiming that Safari is one browser. You get the same iPad experience as you do on the desktop, and it's just a, it's a first-class citizen on the phone. But now it's three entirely separate browsers. It's stupid. Like... Can you imagine just somebody before this suggesting, i got a great idea, guys and girls. Why don't we claim it's three different browsers? And everyone going, oh, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Let's do that. And then here we are. It's stupid. And then they also say they've got five different app stores and five different operating systems as well. The operating systems I can get a little bit, just a little bit behind. But there's so much stuff. I'm struggling with that one. The Safari is a complete no-no. Straws is the saying. I quite like it if you scroll down through the linked article to the register that they've been hoist by their own marketing material. So the EC made short work of Apple's argument by citing, amongst other rebuttals, Apple's own marketing copy to that proclaims the singularity of Safari. Same Safari, different device. The decision document notes, as Apple explains on its website, all these features allow Safari to work seamlessly across devices. Same Safari, different device. Safari works seamlessly and syncs your passwords, bookmarks, history, tabs, and more across iPad, iPhone, and Apple Watch. Well done, Apple. Get your whole head in front of the shotgun before you pull the trigger. 
just oh it's so infuriating with them i get why they're trying to defend themselves but oh i hate to think how much money they've spent trying to pull this defense together yeah so two link stories the one from the register and another one from michael side just going through all the various ridiculous responses to this. So uh, read that one at your leisure. Moving on, uh, my favorite app in yours, Audio Hijack. It caused us no end of problems just before we uh, took our little break for Chris's holiday on assignment, as I said. Has built in a new feature, and that new feature is it's got auto transcription built into it. So I'm trying it out tonight. We'll see at the end of this whether we've actually managed to transcribe our two voices automatically using Whisper, apparently with time codes and everything. So I've just built it into the blocks. Now I've rebuilt all the blocks for recording this podcast. And I think this is a nice little upgrade for them just to build in. What a great feature just to add in. And not that I've used Audio Hijack that much, but what a great way you can just daisy chain everything together. Yeah, very clever. I think that it's a great bit of engineering this. Yeah, it's recording away in the background. It says it's transcribing. I don't think it actually finishes transcribing until I hit stop on it, so I'm not going to try it right now. But uh, I'm really impressed they just built this in. It's the same Whisper AI I've talked about before, where you can drag any audio file into it, and it will try and transcribe it. It gives you the option in the block whether you use the quick model, which is only something like 200 megabytes, or you download the full model, which is about 3 gigs. It's significantly more. Uh, but it's a really nice thing to build in. And for those not familiar with Audio Hijack, it kind of works in a Lego way where you build blocks in so you can have a microphone and that goes into a, say, a visualization meter to see how loud things are being and then a mixer so you can mute your microphone and then a recorder to actually record that and you can put them together. And you can put these transcription blocks anywhere. So you can transcribe separately two or three different microphones coming in and then transcribe the overall conversation as well. If you If one of your sources is, say, a Zoom call or something, it won't do multiple... It can't recognize multiple different voices on the same call. But if it's just, say, Chris and I talking to each other, it will transcribe both voices within that because they come from two separate inputs. So I think that's pretty cool. That is cool. Moving on, we talked about this story from the Netherlands about Apple and dating apps. I think for the first ooh, six weeks of the podcast, I think, they were getting fined something like $5 million a week. It's not gone away. It's come back. The Netherlands still say that they haven't actually made the changes that need to be made. It went from a 30% cut using Apple, Apple's own technologies and payment systems to a 27% cut, I think it was, what they came back to by implementing all your own stuff. So unsurprisingly, the Netherlands have gone, mm, no, we're looking at this again. They still can't be paid that, that fine though. Wasn't it capped at like maximum of 50 million or something stupid? It was capped at that, but I think because they don't believe the matter's been settled, they're actually looking into the whole thing again. So the ACM, which is the the group that, within the Netherlands that are looking at this, are, are re-looking into the whole thing. And again, the EU are tied into this as well. Belgium's in the EU. The rest of the EU are going to be looking at this going, mm, yeah, there's a lot going on here with Apple, isn't there? Yeah, and I think there's going to be more, isn't there? There's got to be more coming because we've got nothing yet about the App Store, different uh, browser engines on iOS and things, you know, where you don't have to use Apple's own engine. So, it, whilst the world's been a little quiet in the last sort of 12, 18 months, there's, it feels like there's a bit more still to happen, another shoe to drop. So, I'm not surprised it's come back around. Yeah, I agree. Well, we will keep track of the story because, as with Blizzard and Activision and Microsoft, it's one of our favorites. <laughs> Apparently, Surface devices are getting six years of updates. Yeah, I just dropped this in here because we were talking about. What we're we talking about the Pixel the other week getting seven years. Google have now said uh, Google, sorry, Microsoft has said they're going to do six years, um, giving it an additional two years. Six, is, I think that's a good time. And then Google's come out and says Chromebooks will or new Chromebooks will get um, 
updates for 10 years. So we've got everybody coming out with various different random numbers. Um, do, you, do you ever view what the right duration is? Like, for me, it feels like five to six years is, is right for a piece of tech. Five to six years is right. As, as I sort of look through the detail of this, this is for security updates for those devices. It's not saying it's going to cover a new version of Windows or something. So the Android announcement was you'll get the latest version of Android as that goes along as well. And there will be features that don't make it through in the same way that Apple devices don't. But that could be really limiting. Does, does Microsoft support Windows for seven years from the day it was launched? So, for example, Server 2012, which came out in 2012, is just gone end of life now to the, without you paying any okay, extra okay. money. So what's that? That's 11 years, give or take, 10 to 11 years, I'd say. And Windows 7? That went back in 2020, I think, but I can't remember what year Windows 7 came right. out. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, it's fair enough, and I'm well done, Microsoft. You know, I'm, I'm quick to criticize Microsoft, but well done for actually saying they're going to support these devices because it's better for the planet if we can keep our devices going longer. That, that seems a bit swinging, though, that they're not going to say you're going to get Windows updates as well because we're all waiting for Windows 12 at this point, right? We've just got 11 now, haven't we? Yeah, but it's the, the rumors are 12 is shortly due, so. I quite liked it when they said it's going to be 10 and it's 10 forever. Which they were very late to copy Apple, and then Apple then came off ten and started doing numbers again. So, ah, so infuriating. Operating system companies. Anyway, it's well done, Microsoft. Laudable, but as with Google, let's see. To be fair, Microsoft have a better history of supporting this stuff. Yeah, they do, and obviously, enterprise has been where they've made all their money. So, I think I think it's good at Microsoft, and they obviously are trying to get into enterprise, especially with their hardware. So. I think six years is fair. We keep our laptops at work for at least four years because we just don't feel the need to upgrade them so frequently because the performance is so good. Yeah, we've talked about that before. Unless you get somebody who absolutely powers through their laptop, you know, they're a developer of some sort or they're an analyst that's sort of really hammering the memory of the processor. Most people don't need that to write a Word document or write a presentation. Or send some emails and join a Teams call. Exactly, although Outlook does take up a fair bit of resource on your computer. As does Teams. Fair enough. Uh, I think that's it for news, unless I missed something. No, that's it. Let's do media. Let's do media. A quick media, I'm thinking, because you've been on holiday and you might not have uh, been able to get through as many things as you might have hoped for. Uh, we've both been watching Race Across the World. Did you enjoy the finale? Uh, so I did. We watched this whilst on holiday on my iPad. Uh, loved it. I think it's such a good show. So well cut and put together to build up excitement every every week on who's going to get over the, to the checkpoint first. I thought it was really well done. Genuinely enjoyed it. My family enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it was a nice hour spent in our hotel room. Yeah, I haven't met anyone yet who doesn't like Race Across the World. There might be some people that are sort of sceptical about it to begin with, but when you actually start watching it and you get into... It's got a perfect mix. It's got some competitive stuff. You get to know people. You know, there's all the relationships. There's seeing amazing scenery and things at the same time. It's a great show. Uh, it's fantastic. I love it. It's good family viewing and... I don't think it has any swearing in it, which is always a bonus. No. Also, Bake Off. Have you caught up with that? Yeah, we've maintained Bake Off too. So th these are probably the two, two, three things we did watch while we were away. I love Bake Off. Again, good family viewing. Children really enjoyed it. So yeah, we, we did make a little bit of time to watch some Channel 4 content while we were away. I'm going to stick a flag in the sand and say, I think Alison Hammond and uh, Noel Fielding are the best presenters we've had in a very long time. And I'm thoroughly enjoying Bake Off this season. Did you not like Matt Lucas? I didn't dislike Matt Lucas. I didn't dislike Sandy Togsvig, but I just think that Alison Hammond is she. She's brought a warmth to it that I think was sort of slightly absent. 
and she's quite a character to be fair i didn't really know her before this i think she's very good by the way i, I do enjoy it so i i think they've had great pairings throughout i've enjoyed them all they've all had something different yeah uh, it's one of the few things i've managed to engage with other people on mastodon actually if you go on mastodon when bake-off's on on tuesday night and do the hashtag gbbo you'll get some quite good comments from people about it it's quite fun oh, that requires me do, doing something other than just watching cake <laughs> cake's good to watch also, Taskmaster, we've really we're really ringing the changes for Channel Four shows here, aren't we? I think this has been another strong season. It's got better as it's gone on, as usual. Once you get to know the various comedians involved, and some of the tasks have been terrific. Yeah, and I must confess, I didn't really know. I knew some of the names this time around. Obviously, I knew, I've heard of Julian Clay, but I know very little about him. He's come across very well, quite funny, I think. Same with Lucy Beaumont, and obviously, I knew Sue Perkins again, bake from Bake Off history. The other two people, Susan and Sam, I think I don't know them at all, but I'm really enjoying it. And I think Taskmaster's been good at introducing me to different people that I wouldn't normally come across. So, um, yeah, it's fantastic. And again, kids are really enjoying it. So, these are three great family shows. And then, yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. And then we've, we've topped it off with, we started watching Don't Look Down. Have you heard of this? So this is Channel 4's Drive for Stand Up for Cancer. So great, great charity. And it's it's hosted by Paddy McGuinness. So my boys saw it, I think when we finished the Taskmaster episode. They're like, oh, what's this? And I was like, I don't know, but it's got Paddy on it. So why don't we watch it? They know Paddy from Top Gear. And so we started watching it. It's about a bunch of celebrities who I don't know who they are. Um, and they've got a fear of height, but they're going to tightrope walk on like a 35 foot high tightrope. And they've got four weeks to, to get up to speed to do it and conquer their fears. And it's really good. And some of the camera work, like I'm not a big fan of heights or do or jumping off, you know, like a ravine or a bungee wire or anything. But it's very well done and Paddy's very good. So I definitely would recommend. It's actually quite nail-biting watching some of them, you know, lean out over a bridge and then um, they have to pull a pin and they suddenly just disappear. And oh, it's, yeah, I quite enjoyed it actually. So I would recommend, again, Channel 4, they're knocking out of the park this year. Fair enough. I haven't watched that one. I don't think it's high on my list. I agree with you. Stand Up to Cancer is a great charity. I've thoroughly enjoyed the Celebrity Bake Offs. I know Rod Gilbert is sort of a real ambassador for Stand Up to Cancer at the moment. I have a lot of time for Rod Gilbert. I think he's an excellent comedian, obviously local to this part of the world as well. Uh, my, my celebrity story is I've had uh, dinner with Rod Gilbert sat behind me, uh, and he seems like a really nice guy as well. So good charity, good guy. Uh, I don't really know that shows for me but sounds interesting it's just I mean the kids picked up on it and we just watched it and like I say it was just quite nail-biting and we all got quite vested in it whereas we don't normally do a lot of shows like that but yeah I actually quite enjoyed it fair enough uh, for me Gen V which is an Amazon Prime show I talked about it before it's a spin-off of The Boys which is also an Amazon Prime show about what happens if superheroes are actually evil or more likely if human beings got superpowers how they would behave rather than them being evil they would behave in not great ways of self-interested but there's lots of morality tales in there about capitalism the fall of democracy how women are treated in society all this kind of stuff that's actually beneath the surface of quite a funny anarchic tv show um so that come to an end it's eight episodes they were excellent if you like the boys you'll like gen v it's probably worth checking it out I feel like I'm so far behind on so many TV shows, so I apologise, I haven't seen that. Uh, just and to add to that, don't watch it with your children. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of what I've been watching lately, to be fair, it's been more family entertainment, so yeah, maybe I need to find some time to watch that. Moving on, uh, games. Uh, I think this is probably all pretty much me this week. We may have one thing we can talk about with, with the Nintendo game. Uh, Super, uh, sorry, Modern Warfare 3, uh, if you pre-ordered it, 
was in a release this week, you could start playing the single player campaign. That's probably the only bit you'd be interested in anyway if you were to pick up Modern Warfare 3. Uh, based on what I've played so far, I've played about three and a half hours of it. Don't buy Modern Warfare 3 for the single player campaign. It is very below average. Oh, that's disappointing because I, you know I like the single player campaigns, but that is disappointing. I must confess, my kids are on the PlayStation just now and I think they're on the store icon for the PlayStation store and it had like a snake going through a skull as its logo I was like, that wasn't terribly appealing to me and it knows my son's logged in and it knows he's 10 years old why can't we have not an 18 game or 16 game being displayed to him please at 10 year olds play ecology all the time not this one and uh, yeah, maybe fairly unique in that and it's not right the game has a peggy 18 rating i'm not saying it's the right thing to do but also i suspect sony know their market very well as do microsoft and they've bought call of duty for a reason and they're going to lean into that because it's a bit naughty and you can play call of duty uh, i'm sure they will and that we probably play games before our years as well but i just didn't really want to see that i don't i don't know it just annoyed me a little bit fair enough as i say if it helps at all it's not worth buying it for the single player campaign yeah, I don't think I've completed Vanguard yet, so I've got to go back and play that, I think. So I'm, I'm a little bit behind, to say the least. Yeah, and Vanguard is the second worst reviewed Call of Duty game in quite some time, so very good. Yeah, I don't have a good batting average for COD games. I, I, just an observation, how COD has become, you know, EA Sports or, or Champions League or, or one of these sort of sports franchises where they release a new version with very slightly tweaked bits every year. Yeah, well, it's EA's MO, isn't it? And it's not EA, is it? My mistake. It is very much now Microsoft. So they're obviously following though in EA's wake and seeing EA with all the money. And if you've got a PC, it's 140 gigs on your hard drive for Modern Warfare 3. That's insane. It is a huge amount of storage for for some high resolution textures as much as anything. Wow, that's where they've spent the last year is just, just creating huge textures, as you say. Yeah, crazy. Super Mario Wonder. Did you pick this up? At the last minute before going on holiday, I thought, yep, I'm going to buy it. So I did the thing where you buy the voucher and you can get two games for about £84 in the UK. I spent one token on Super Mario Wonder. I don't know what I'm going to put the other token towards. Yeah, so I downloaded it and loaded up my Switch so I could play it on the flight. And thoughts? Love it. It's Mario. Love it. Just a nice, happy game. I really enjoyed it. I think some of it's controversial but with people because they're saying it's a bit of a mashup of everything. I just really enjoyed it. It's it's a fun platformer it's got different difficulty ratings i've just got to pick up lots of random stuff as i walk around levels just yeah quite enjoy it so actually i bought it too it's the first switch game i bought in quite some time just as they're Uh, about to kill the switch you buy a game well i don't mind a side-scrolling mario game i never have who doesn't like a side-scrolling mario game i like it's just such a great ip and nice child-friendly game which is really well done. And actually a very upbeat game. You know, it's, it's called Wonder. It's nice, bright graphics. It's just a nice pick-me-up game, I thought. And I even had it on my TV this morning before work with my... And I thought I'd try it out because I'd only played it in handheld mode. So I tried it out with the Pro Controller and I just really enjoyed sitting on my couch, playing Mario Wonder, did a couple of levels. And it's great. You can pick it up. You can play on it for 10 minutes, do a level, uh, and then turn it off again. Or you can sit on it and binge it for a couple of hours. I love it. So I've only been playing it in console mode. I don't have a pro controller. I've got some knockoff thing I bought on Amazon for about 12 quid that's like a pro controller, but it's fine. It feels a bit cheap when it comes to the haptics. If anybody's particularly interested and wants to email in, I'll dig out the model. But 
yeah, it's good enough, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And my word for it is charming. It's a charming game. Yeah, I'd, I'd go with charming. Like I say, it's just kind of like a happy game. I really, really do like it. Yeah, I must confess, when you mentioned haptics, I generally turn off all haptics on the on the actual Joy Cons when you're when you've got them clamped on the side because I just find that noise really irritates me. The the, the way it drives the, the haptic motor, whereas actually I don't mind it on the Pro Controller. And like it was great just sat on the couch playing it earlier. So what a cool game. You've reminded me. The only thing I really noticed on Modern Warfare 3 for haptics is that the accelerator pedal in some of the cars is the right trigger. And it's the first time I've been properly aware in, in a game where the you got that pushback against your finger with the haptics on the, on the, the DualShock 6 or whatever it's called these days. So yeah, there you go. That's some haptics for you. You mean the DualSense controller? That thing that's basically a DualShock, yeah. Agreed. I think Nintendo did a great job. I also really did admire the graphics. Your Switch is not a powerful device. And I know it's just a side-scrolling platformer, but it did look good. And it played great on the handout, and it played great on the telly, and it looked good. I I think they've done a great job with it. The engineering that's gone into that game to make it work and the mechanics work, fantastic. I like the details. Mario goes into a pipe, he reaches back and grabs his hat. You know, little things like that, I really appreciate that sort of attention to detail. Oh, I love it all. I just think it's so, just so well put together. Yeah, fantastic. Moving on to a game that's not quite so well put together because it's a beta. There's a game called The Finals, which is made by a development studio that sort of renegades from DICE, who made the Battlefield franchise that I'm so keen on, and you may have played Once Upon a Time as well. So when they left DICE, they went off to start this. It's not a battle royale. It's more like a competitive 3v... It's a shooter. Of course, most of the games I I play are shooters. But it's fantastic. The whole map is destructible. You know, if you're defending something then the opposing team can just smash through the ceiling in the building you're in and actually knock you through the floor while they're at it so the idea is you steal some cash you put it in safes you've got to defend the safe while the cash is being extracted and while that's ongoing you've got the whole match is based on that if you get three lots of money out you win done first to three sort of thing it's really quite impressive it was completely free during the play test which was for about 12 days i think the intention is for it to release at the end of the year and it is completely free it is a game that you want friends for. I played with some randoms on PlayStation. It's quite nice. You can limit it just to PlayStation or just to Steam as well, if that's the way you want to go, and not have potentially that cheating, hacking, PC master race kind of thing going on with people with super fast ability aimbot you across the map when you're on a PlayStation or presumably when you're on Xbox as well. But I just thought for a free game, really good attention to detail, really good dynamics, not violent. When people die, they explode into coins. It's almost more like Mario than anything else from that point of view. You can respawn, so the difficulty level's not, you know, as you'd expect one of these things to be, but just really, really well done and not a battle royale for a change. It is nice to play a game, I think, with a different mechanic, isn't it? I think... Like you, I think I quite like a shooter. I think because we were brought up on Wolfenstein and Doom and then Quake, um, I do really enjoy a shooter. And so I'd probably quite like this kind of game. It sounds, sounds really good. Yeah, I think uh, when the final one, the final fu- version of the finals comes out, I'll drop your line and maybe we should try and play a game or two with each other and see how we get on with that because we'll just be as awful as each other, but at least there's no stakes in it. Yeah, that's true. There's no stakes. All right, well, we should definitely try and do that. Should we try and do a bit of a short main show? It's, a, it's quite a lot of news this week, but do you want to have a quick go? Let's do it. 
So it was Apple's, see I did so, see the so thing I do? I do the so thing a lot. It was Apple's quarter four financials, which we always do a bit of a rundown on. There's a couple of linked articles in the show notes. We've got one from Jason Smell because he does a very good job and the one from uh, The Verge as well about going through in a slightly more detail about what it is. The summary of this is it's bad for everything except the iPhone and, and services, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting it just scrolling through the charts. If you look at Q4, their revenue, it was £89 billion, well, £89.5 billion. And last year, it was £90.1 billion. So it's not massively down year on year from looking at the total revenue. But you're right, looking at some of the charts, I mean, you look at the Mac, it's tailing off because obviously everybody's gone and bought M1 Max books, as we were talking at the top of the show, and therefore they're not feeling that compelled to go and buy another MacBook because frankly why would you because they're fantastic devices and you're probably not reaching the bit where you're thinking it's old and beaten up yet so really interesting and equally the pie chart at the top showing that the iPhone is still 49% of their revenue you know still still the big chunk but services wow already 25% of their revenue you can see where they've been putting their effort and then in essence you've got wearables Mac and iPad between 7 and 10% a piece so it's, it's super interesting isn't it yeah, there's a lot there, isn't there? I mean, first of all, $89.5 billion for that quarter is insane, with $23 billion profit. Yeah, they're not hurting for Christmas, are they? They're really not. That drop in Mac revenue, down $7.6 billion, which is down, th- sorry, $7.6 billion, down 34%. I'm not that surprised about it. The whole PC market is on a downturn at the moment. This isn't just Apple. I think they've been insulated for this, all of them, by the pandemic, and we've talked about this repeatedly. And then confounding that is just how good the m1 chip was yeah that's just was an amazing technical achievement at the time but then has slightly caused them problems now because most software and programs aren't fully exploiting the m1 i think you really only need the latest and greatest if you're doing really number crunching work editing video you know that that kind of thing so that's starting to hurt them and kind of the same with the ipad i mean the ipad's had no updates this year and that's just massively tailed off because there's just nothing out there to go and get you know i'm itching to get a new ipad pro but obviously we've had a year just over a year with the current one which i didn't even bother to upgrade to from the last time because it there just wasn't that incentive there so super curious to see where they're going to go with this um I think we're, we're looking for iPads next year, aren't we? So the Mac's down, the iPads are down. Um, what was the iPhone? Is that sort of that's up? It's up. That's up. So, but may, that's not. But that's not a surprise, but, is it? Because I think universally the iPhones 15 have largely been a bit of a hit. I know we've had lots of gates, but actually on the whole, there's probably still quite a bit of demand for them. Yeah, and I think the iPhone 14 was a bit weak. You know, you and I both said. You might be as well looking for a 13 or a 12 even on re- on refurb rather than getting a 14 last year, unless there's something particularly in the 14 you wanted. I think there's a bit of pent-up demand in the 15 for USB-C. The pro, pro phones are demonstrably better this year, ignoring all the gates. It doesn't seem to be affecting the market particularly. They still seem to be back order. If you try and get an iPhone 15 Pro, you're struggling. They've obviously really leaned into the Pro and the Pro Max being the things that sell particularly well. People want that. They want the titanium colors. They're, they're harder to get hold of. It is the new sexy in terms of the processors with the three nanometer process now. So I'm not surprised that the iPhone has had that sort of peak this year. And that will continue over the Christmas period for sure. I'm sure Apple hope they're going to get the same sort of bump 
by releasing the M3 Max at this point as well. There's enough of a jump now between the M1 and M3 that I think they'll get a little more of a bump than they did with the M2 Max. Yeah, definitely. I mean, some people will go for it. And also, people that bought their M1, it was probably, what, circa three years ago. So they're gonna, there will be some demand for it, but it's there's just not as a compelling a reason to upgrade. You know, the M2 and the M3 Max are quicker, but there hasn't been anything else really added, you know, as a compelling reason to upgrade. Like, the screen isn't massively better. The keyboard isn't different. Do you know what I mean? There's just nothing else in. There's not an extra port. Um, same on the iPad front. The phones are different, and therefore I think people have wanted it. I didn't need to upgrade this year, but I just felt compelled to because it looked a great device. And do you know what? Every time I pick it up, super chuffed I've upgraded. Love it in my hand. Yeah, it's a good device. So we also see wearables are up slightly this year. I don't know really what that's on the strength of because I suppose we did get slightly bumped AirPods Pro. No, wearables are down year on year. So it's 9.7 last year and 9.3 this year. But it does look like if you added the whole year up, it is slightly up, I guess. But I I guess though last year was the Ultra, whereas the Series... Eight and nine have been really non-events. The Ultra 2 this year is a non-event. Bit of HomePods probably in there last year because we got the new AirPods Pro last year, didn't we? So, But yeah, there's, there's not been anything really in the wearables category in the last 12 months. It's really pushed it on. I'm still waiting for my new AirPods Max, but apparently I'm not getting those till next year. It's quite a strong quarter though, isn't it? If you look at the start of 2023, which includes Christmas period, that first quarter was up 13.5. This is billion, presumably. Q2 was 8.8, Q3 was 8.3, and now we're up to 9.3 in the pre-Christmas period. I feel like a sports commentator at this point. I got to think that with a Christmas as well, when people do get that new watch or they do get that new pair of headphones, they're going to have a similar bump on this. You know, for people who there'll be a pent up demand for people who maybe didn't buy last year's watch, but oh, go on, I'll get it for Christmas. So I think now may be the time for that. Yeah, I, I would have thought so as well. Look, it's a £9.3 billion business per quarter, which is still a massive business. But to Apple, obviously, it's, it's their smaller sort of business, if that makes sense. It's the service one that gets me, that you just look at that graph there. I think Eddie Q's the man in charge of services. He must be loving life because it's just slowly just climbing away every quarter. You know, you're putting a billion on it every quarter. That's pretty good going. Yeah, as I hinted last week, though, they've got to be quite careful with the cost of some of these services. You and I buy the, whatever it's called, top-tier premier plan that gives you everything all in. That's gone up by five quid. That's gone up by five quid pretty much across the range. I wonder how much tolerance there is for people who just get an iCloud subscription or just get an Apple TV Plus subscription. How high will they accept that in light of Netflix going up, Disney Plus going up, their Amazon Prime going up and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's which one gives. For me, like I buy Disney every year so that I get a couple of months free. I prefer that kind of scheme. I do do the Apple Premium. I can't think Apple One Premium, I think it's called, or something along those lines, because I share it with the family. And £15, that is the Apple Music subscription. So I'm then getting circa £20 then of other value from it. And I think I do get that because I do enjoy Apple TV Plus, I do use News Plus quite a bit. And I also use the, the storage because I have the two terabyte options. So for me, I'm happy with the money at the moment. But there will come a time when you're going to question it if it carries on like this. Yeah, the cost of living is a real thing. And lots of people, when you're looking at all the things I pay for on a monthly basis, 
how much value are they actually getting out of News Plus? How much value are they actually getting out of? Maybe they get a deal for Spotify to get out a bit cheaper. And then you start going, okay, well, the only thing I really, really want out of this is, say, just the TV side of it or just the iCloud side of it. And if you start to break it up, I, I, I begin to question, Apple Arcade is really not worth it for most people, I don't think. I agree with you there. There's occasional game on it you play and try out, but on the whole, I could probably live without it because I don't buy or play many games. I'm curious to see if they're going to keep adding services like, you know, are they going to roll the satellite calling in and go, actually, we're going to keep it the same price and we're going to backfill some services that there may well be some of that at some point. And of course, the other thought about services is presumably it's the 30% that they're charging other developers for selling things through Apple payment options as well. So that's suggestive of why they're so defensive about losing that potentially around these markets around the world. That How much of that, because they don't break it down by exactly how much comes out of which category is actually attributable to people getting their subscription for whatever service on the App Store. Where does the uh, Google default search money go as well? Is that under services? That's got to be in there somewhere, surely. It's got to be in there monetized for something else. But yeah, that is that is an interesting thought as well. Or are they bolstering their services so that if some of the App Store revenue goes away, you know, they've got other streams that they can turn their taps on to replace some of that revenue? Yeah, interesting. As you scroll down through these charts, and again, Jason's done a stellar job of, of... Jason's getting a lot of mentions in the podcast this time. It's almost follow-up for me if you've ever listened to us. But there's an Apple regional revenue for the four-quarter average chart, which is a fair way down the article. And you just look at the bump in America's sort of costs over the last couple of years. And I think that shows where it's relatively flat in China and the EU. I presume that includes us in the EU still at this point for the way this is done. But it's even flatter for the EU. So it's really America seems to be driving a lot of this, you know, profit for them. Yeah, I wonder what that is. Are they buying loads of iPhones? I don't, I, I yeah, don't, I don't know. It is a bit strange, isn't it? I mean, like my independent observation was Italy was almost entirely iPhone, but then before Spain was almost entirely Android. And I suspect America, certainly from my experiences this year being in Boston and, and, and San Francisco, were more Apple devices than anything else. So I think Americans like to buy American products. Which has obviously got to be a big part of it. Yeah, it could be a big part of it. Maybe maybe it's all credit card money because obviously you can get the Apple credit card over in America. So maybe that's where that big bump came in a couple of years ago because it's never made it to other markets. No, it hasn't. I mean, they all trend upwards slightly. iPhones and things are very aspirational devices. Even in China, I think, although the recent government sort of pushbacks we've been seeing may sort of have an effect on that ultimately. But it's it's interesting to keep an eye on these things. It's not as detailed a rundown as we might normally go into, but it's a long show and there's been a lot happening in the last couple of weeks. But uh, it's still interesting to see where they are. I think talking through financials on a podcast is hard though because you, you really want to have the graphs in front of you and have a commentary to run through it. But yeah, super interesting. They're not going to go bust anytime soon. No, it seems not. They seem safe enough from that point of view until the EU does them for antitrust and splits them up. Yeah, and it looks like iPad Review, they reckon, they've said it's going to drop in the next quarter because there's no new products this year, unless you want a pencil. I've said this, I think I said it last time we talked, I see no compelling reason to replace my iPad Pro last year, the year before that. And frankly, even compared to the one I had, the 2018 one I had, there, there there's not a substantive enough dis- difference for me between the power of that and what I've got now. You're a Mac Pro, my iPad Pro, power user i'm certainly not i just needed to play slay the spire and you know do the odd meeting and surf the web gently so for me i genuinely don't see why you would need an m2 one terabyte ipad pro with an m3 in it compared to the m2 or even compared to an m1 
I wouldn't disagree with that statement. I think the M1's, I'm still using the M1 by the way, I think it's been a fantastic iPad. I only want one with the one terabyte in it because I get the 16 gig of RAM. I use a lot of apps open all the time, but I don't think I need much more than what I've already got. The new iPad next year is going to be very compelling for me to want to spend £2,000 on it because that's probably what it will cost. We just said at the start of the show that an iPad, uh, sorry, a, a MacBook Pro 14 inch in a lovely, sexy, almost black color is £2,000. I know which device I'd rather have for that. Yeah, and the iPad doesn't come with a keyboard or a mouse. No, and you're limited to what software you can install and you can't virtualize on it and there's all the sort of drawbacks of that. It's quite an ask for somebody for £2,000 for that device. I agree. If we supported Macs at work, I'd probably use my Mac. Yeah, that's that's interesting, isn't it? You, uh, what we're seeing to me is everybody who was very positive and bullish on the iPad, people like Federico Vitici, like Mike Hurley, like yourself, actually slightly falling out of love with it. They see the potential for the device, and don't get me wrong, it's a lovely bit of hardware. They've got gorgeous screens. They're more than powerful enough. It's the same chip, more or less, that I'm sitting talking to you with now. And it's so held back by the software. Of all they allowed you to do was virtualize macOS on there, and you could flip between them, that then becomes a really compelling, really interesting device that's probably worth the money. Agreed, it is very expensive. I do use mine all day, every day, but only because we don't support Macs where I work and I can bring my own iPad. If we could did be, bring your own Mac, I'd probably switch straight to my MacBook. And I'd probably even consider buying an M3 one because I'd be using it all the time. You should talk to the CTO about that. Yeah, whoops. <laughs> Moving on, uh, and this might actually cause a little bit of discussion. So... In your absence, I've been doing some more server virtualization things. I've gone back and forth on the various things that I do. I'm currently running an old Intel i7 with 32 gigs of RAM and terabytes of storage to run seven virtual machines, I think, at the moment, and a whole bunch of other stuff on them. And as I've been doing that, I've noticed a rate-limiting step on my network is I've only got you know gigabit networking everywhere. And these days, the new hotness is 2.5 or even 10 gigabit networking. Very few Macs support that level of speed. Very few PCs support that level of speed. And actually, my backbone, my very expensive Unify backbone, is only gigabit. So I've been sort of casting around a little bit, going, where can I see some increases in this? So the obvious thing for me is my Synology NAS, which you can get a two and a half gig version of, and the virtualization server, which I can put a 10 gig network card in if I want to. So I've been just saying, What's it going to cost me to up my game from gigabit up to two and a half gigabit? I'm not really thinking 10 gig. I'm not really going to see the benefits for that. But it led me, and I have never really looked at this, to this website, Alibaba, which is a sort of Chinese front end for, you can get things eventually delivered to the UK. And it's really the OEM versions. If you buy a switch off QNAP or someone like that, the chances are it's one of these things rebadged. They've all got FCC uh, and uh, EU uh, kite marks on them, so they're not going to burn your house down. But I just think this is a fascinating site. So uh, just for as a point of discussion, and I told Chris not to go to this website before he looked at it, if you put in two and a half gigabit switch and you sort of look at what's available there, for example, you'll find two and a half gigabit Ethernet switch with five two and a half gigabit ports, one 10 gigabit SFP sport port for your background for $31.79 you got to buy two of them fair in other places you can buy one but for around $50 you can get that eventually shipped to the UK I don't know what the shipping's like on that but you can get some fairly serious networking equipment for not a lot of money eventually delivered to you that would cost you 150 200 300 quid in the UK 
And it's it's a bit of a, a rabbit hole, this, because if you start searching for other things that you're vaguely interested in, network hotspots, NASes, all sorts of stuff, you could very quickly find yourself way down the rabbit hole. So I just wonder what you thought of this. A uh, couple of questions. One, have you ever used Alibaba before? No, but lots of people have. Right, okay. So, so I haven't used it. That is quite cheap. Would you not need something branded? or Because that looked like an unbranded switch. I've never heard of it. It's totally unbranded switch. But like I say, if you were to search on Amazon for a QNAP switch, it's the same device with a QNAP badge and their own software stuck on it. So a lot of this Alibaba stuff is for a resupplier to buy 50 or 100 or 10,000 of them and slap their own badges on it. So you're just getting it straight from the factory, effectively, rather than waiting for the, the well-known brand to stick their logos on top of it. Yeah, and I, I mean, for me, my backbone is your old switch because you sent it to me, your Netgear switch, which I've got in a rack in my garage, which just has everything plugged into it all the arrows and whilst you were talking i did just look up my aero and it is only um gigabit on it which is fine for all i need because i'll be honest i don't don't think i need any more but i was just curious to go if i wanted to go past gigabit what would i do um because they brought out the new aero 7 recently which is very expensive but um it does two and a half gigabit ports on it if i remember correctly so um it is interesting to see out there um, and actually, the um, Aero 6E, which is the one I haven't got, is also 2.3 gigabits. So it is clearly coming. Well, I think we are advancing past it. Do you need different um, network cables or will it still work? Well, this is the thing. So my house, I've got, this is really nerdy for, for some listeners of the podcast. I have Cat5e cable everywhere, which is common and is certified to one gig up to 50 meter run. So you've got a 50 meter run of Cat5e, you'll get gigabit speeds on that. However, if you have shorter runs, and I'm not sure what shorter is in this scenario, you can often use Cat5e cable for higher speeds. And there's quite a few people on the internet, I've been, because I'm interested, even able to run 10 gigabit Ethernet speeds over Cat5e cable over sufficiently short runs. If you've got Cat6 or Cat7, you're fine. You can do what you like with this kind of stuff. And you can use standard RG45 plugs into your switches rather than having to use SFP and things like that. So fiber cable was what we thought we all needed to run some of the, fi- the the higher capacity networking. But actually, some of these switches enable you to do it with your existing plugs and cables. So you can often just flip a switch out, put a switch in, plug it in, and you're good to go again. Why haven't you ordered any yet? Because I'm curious, and this is why I've put it as my app of the week, because it's this is more of a potential thing that I thought might make me an interesting talking point. I watched a guy on YouTube build a homemade NAS. He orders a seller on motherboard, he gets a, a box, he buys five hard drives, he puts them in. And for about 230 quid, he builds a homemade NAS running his own operating system. You know, you download uh, Unraid or Proxmox or, or something like that, and you can build your own NAS. If you go to Synology and buy an empty NAS, you're spending a lot more than that for a five hard drive NAS. So if you're at all interested in tinkering, and you think if you're going to go up to that and you're going to put 10 gigs in your NAS, then you want the backbone for it. You want the cables for it. You want to be able to buy a card to put in your PC or a USB-C thing for your Mac to plug it in to give you that sort of speed. So it's just a it's a thought exercise as much as anything else at this point. But often what it's like, you know, you can't help yourself once you start sort of scratching the itch. You've actually got to do something about it. Yeah, I'm with you on this. I'm awful at buying things. Once I start getting the itch and I start tracking the prices and I can talk myself into buying anything. So maybe Black Fridays are coming. I don't know when Black Friday is. But, um... It was Friday. Yep. I didn't today, see is Cyber... today is Cyber Monday. But there's nothing on Amazon about it. 
No, but if you go on Hot UK Deals, you'll see it's covered in it. Or maybe I'm wrong. No, it's it's around Thanksgiving, isn't it? So yeah, it's we're, we're still coming up to it. But there were some pre-Black Friday deals this Friday and today. Right, okay. Because yeah, normally you, you can't move on Amazon for Black Friday week and Cyber Monday week and whatever else. Because I was starting to probe my children for what they want for Christmas and what do I want to get? Because, you know, I keep an eye on it. I'm in the mood for a new Synology myself. But I was waiting to see if there were any good deals coming. So maybe that's your time to upgrade. Do you think you'd really notice a difference? I think it would for a couple of applications. Moving big files around, running virtual machines, copying things here and there, I would. Most of the things on Wi-Fi, like most of the time you're on your phone or you're on your iPad or you've got your laptop in your lap, and you're not going to see that kind of difference unless you go to Wi-Fi 7. And let's face it, most of our Wi-Fi devices don't support Wi-Fi 7. Certainly my Unify hotspots don't support it. But for the plugged-in things, my Mac is plugged in now into the network as I'm talking to you so I can get the best possible recording. My virtual machine server is plugged in. My NAS is plugged in. So for those kinds of things where you are shifting a lot of bits around, yeah, that's pretty good. If I copy you know, a large amount of media from one destination to another, I can be waiting a long time for that. So things like that, I do, I would see a benefit from. Yeah, I guess I have very little on the network. It's, I try and wire in where I can. But that's just more because I don't have to deal with any Wi-Fi issues. Um, it's probably less about the performance because I've got Wi-Fi 6 everywhere and they are Ethernet between their hotspots for a better backbone. Now, I can see the appeal of doing it and I would, if, if I was into it, I probably would do the same. It's a fun tech challenge anyway in the show notes and for you to see as well i put in the qnap version of one of these switches and you can compare and contrast how i like it is for the unbranded things you'd get from alibaba too so i'm sure qnap would tell you an entirely different story that it's not use buy with caution folks if you go there just because you know you don't actually know what you're guessing i think you want to find a buyer of it on youtube or somewhere that's bought a few things from one of the sellers on alibaba so make sure you're getting the right thing you don't have the backup and reliability you'd have with the warranty and all the rest of it from something you bought from Amazon. So it's a shot in the dark, really, but it's int- certainly interesting. The uh, QNAP switch, though, isn't ridiculous. It's 100 no, it's not. quid. Like for a 2.5 gigabit switch, that's not not really that scary, in my opinion. No, it's not. And you let's face it, you need at least one, and then you need to buy the network cards to put in there as well, unless your machine supports it or your dongle supports it. So you're going to want something in your server cabinet or whatever the equivalent of that is, and then you're going to want something that takes advantage of it. So in my head, you could buy a Mac Mini last year that had 10 gig Ethernet. So you may already have a device that's capable of, let's face it, a two and a half gig Ethernet uh, network port on your computer is more than double the network performance that you're guessing now if you can get that through. That's not bad for a small amount of money, really. No, I'd agree with that. And I was just going to go look at the new MacBook Pros and see what Ethernet port they had on it. But obviously, they don't have an Ethernet port on them, do they? Um, no, but, but you'll I've, be able to get a thun. Yeah, no, I was going to say, I've got a dongle in the back of my screen. Um, I've no idea what speed it runs at, though. It probably is only one gigabit. But I use that with my iPad, so I don't have any Wi-Fi issues when I'm on Teams all day. And obviously... Now I'm talking to you through it. The Ethernet goes through through the screen, so I, I'm assuming you can get USB-C dongles that do greater than one gigabit. You say USB-C, I'd put the word Thunderbolt Sorry, there rather Thunderbolt. than USB-C. Yeah, so you absolutely can. I think you'd even get ten gig ones. Yeah, um, you should be able to. 
as I, as I do a quick look. The QNAP releases the world's first Thunderbolt 4 NAS even. So, you know, there are, these things are becoming available. And if you're going to have media and content and ISO files and all these things, or you want to live copy a virtual machine running from one server to another, the more bandwidth you've got in the background that you can do that. That's the kind of... Now, home users, you're not going to see so much of that. But I quite like the thought. I like tinkering with these things and having the redundancy. It's it's a consideration. Yeah, you're going to have bought this by the time we, we speak in a couple of weeks, I'm fairly confident. <laughs> There's another tech toy I want to talk about in a couple of weeks as well called the Zima board that we should have a chat about. Like a, It's like a fancy Raspberry Pi that we should talk about in the future too. But that's my very bent into a corner app of the week. Okay, no, that's cool. Let's let's watch this space. I can see us doing follow-up on your home network upgrades. I've largely stayed away from it because I only get gigabit internet and that's probably the thing I use the most. So that's where I'm at. On to my thing of the week. So I've just put in, I've called it iPhone case, but it's a sleeve for my iPhone. Whilst I don't use it every day, this was just something I bought so I could just put my iPhone in my bag while I was away with the family, while I was at the swimming pool or went on the beach, just so it didn't get scratched in my bag. It's fantastic. For not a lot of money, just a nice little sleeve, and it literally just fits the iPhone. So if you've got a case on your iPhone, it's probably no good. But if you just want something to pop it in, like I say, just to chuck it in your bag out of the way, would recommend, and it's nicely made, nice color as well. So there you go. That was my thing of the week. It's an iPhone sock basically an iphone sock and like i said i think we spoke about it before but i've actually used it quite a bit over the last two weeks and like i said it's just a great little pouch i kind of wish rucksacks had like a little iphone pouch in them because like you get a laptop usually a piece at the back to put your laptop in can i just have a little phone pouch to slide my phone in because every now and again i don't want my phone on me i just want to put it somewhere where it's not going to get scratched so there you go i bet that's a thing i bet you can buy some clever laptop that does have that built into it yeah probably and you'd want one to be I don't know, relatively big, like seven inches, I guess. So you can put the biggest phone in it with it, or your, like your Pro Max with a case on it. But that's what I would recommend to people. I thought it was nice and, yeah, put it to my phone. So I'm happy. I think we can go that show, Chris. I think that's the show. So let if anyone wants to get into contact, Rod is at g5maniac at maston.scott. I am at underscore cgp at maston.social. And you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week. Cheers, Rod. Cheers, Rod.